podcast, a sports ethos production. We look at the Seahawks from every angle every week. I'm your host, Candace Hagens. And I'm Tino Ganasius. And we are back. It has been a minute since we've been able to provide some content for you guys. It's been a lot going on with the holidays, traveling, you know, trying to get schedules together. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to have Tino back on the show. Absolutely. Awesome. And we got quite a bit of Seahawks to talk about because it's been so long. So we kind of yeah. want to catch you guys up just on really the state of the Seahawks and where we feel like the team is right now. So, Tino, I'm, I'm itching to get your thoughts on <laughs> sort of where the team is, mm-hmm. projection-wise, just kind of how, what are your thoughts on what you've seen on film so far? So my first thought, if I'm looking forward, kind of where this team is and where it's headed is the building blocks are there. Outside of outside of long-term at quarterback, quarterback, the building blocks are there. You've got two tackles on the offensive line. You've got guard talent, right? I'm going to continue to stump for Oluwatimi as the starting center, but you've got... So you've got a, you know, a very good offensive line. I would say currently slightly above average from what I see, but could be better. You've got obvious talent at wide receiver. You've got talent at running back. You've got depth at both positions. On defense, you have your cornerstones, right? You need corners and you need edge players. We have obviously have probably the best corner tandem in football. Boye Mafe has been a breakout star, right? He'll probably end up with 11 sacks or so. He's been dominant. And he's been dominant without and Wosu. Right. Right. If you re-sign Leonard Williams, you've got a pretty talented, you know, starting of a line, right? Right. You've got those corners. Yep. You've got linebacker. I think line, linebacker philosophy at linebacker needs to get addressed a little bit moving mm-hmm. forward. Um, but you've got the building blocks, but there's one big building block that I didn't say, right? That's not there. And that's that quarterback. Yeah. And as much as I love Geno Smith, if your goal is to win a Super Bowl, right, and your goal is to win a Super Bowl within the next couple of years, given Pete Carroll's age, given, you know, not having to hand out these huge extensions or these huge contracts to your young players yet, this is your window. Yeah. So, you know, the, the question will come up in the offseason, what do the Seahawks do at quarterback? And is drafting a young quarterback going to, especially where they're going to draft, is that going to be talented enough player that's going to get them to the Super Bowl in the next couple of years? So I think all if let me say too, if Russell Wilson wasn't a former Seahawk, right? If he was a former, say, commander or cowboy or something else, he is the type of quarterback that I think could come in and lift this team to another level. So if you ask me state of the team, I think a lot of the building blocks are there. I think they've done a phenomenal job job in identifying talent at every important position, but there's something missing, right? The quarterback position is something and there's a lack of cohesiveness on defense that I think shows up at times that needs to change. The other thing I'll say is I, I said this when we first started talking earlier this season, what is the identity of this offense? Yeah. What does this offense do? Right. We see more screens. That's great. We know D, uh, DK is going over a thousand yards um, tomorrow. That's great. But what is the identity? Are you a run heavy team? Are you a play action team? Are you I still don't really know, even though the talent is there. So I think on both sides of the ball, I want to see more definition next year. I want to know this is what we do. We play man. We're going to lock you up. We're going to let our edges do, you know, get to work. And we're going to come after you, right? Whatever, whatever it is that he that they decide, they need to really define it because these championship teams, they know what they do. 
When you say Niners, they run the ball. They run the ball. They take care of the ball. They've got a nasty defense, right? When you say the Ravens, you know what the Ravens do. Even though they tweak their offense, it's still all about Lamar, right? So the Seahawks don't have that. So that's me. I think the pieces are there. Um, As much as I love Pete, he needs to change. He has to figure out kind of, you know, who are we going to be and make that vision happen next year. This year, I think, is... I'm done with this year. I know they might make the playoffs. I think Geno Smith can get hot. I think DK Metcalf is a dominant player, but they're not going anywhere if they do, right? They're not going anywhere. So you almost, if you're planning for next year, you almost want them to take the L, get the higher draft pick and, and you know, keep it pushing. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm on the same page with you on a lot of, a lot of that, uh, especially about this season. To me, it's it's really hard to get excited about this season. If if they make it, they're if, in my opinion, they are food right. <laughs> to any team that they're going to face because mm-hmm. they just don't have enough. I think continuity and cohesiveness is a good word mm-hmm. for for it on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, I gave them some time to get that identity together. I think the defense does have an identity, though. I just don't think it's a good one. Um, <laughs> I think it's a zone, like you said, prevent defense. They've thrown in some man on certain occasions, but it's really sparing. They're not going to blitz too much. They're mm-hmm. going to just play it straight up. They're not going to do too much disguising. They just play the scheme as it's made to be. But mm-hmm. teams just eat that up. I mean, that is their identity. They're consistent with that. They're right. just consistently bad with it. Like right. That's really the problem that I think I I, I face and, and deal with with this team. And it's really led me to the opinion that, you know, I said this coming into the to coming into the season. For me, this was a make or break year for my opinion on P. Carroll. Mm-hmm. I've stood by him because he offers a lot of positive qualities that are particularly unique in the league. And I know there are some things that if Pete is gone, you're not going to be able to get back. I don't think the that they get as many free agents, to be honest, as they do now because people want to play for a player's coach like P. Carroll. I think that helps them. I think you lose some edge in some ways, mm-hmm. but I also just don't think that Pete Carroll's going to be the coach to take this team to win a Super Bowl. I just, I haven't seen enough change. He's, he's knocked on the door of change to say he'll adapt some things. And he has I'm not changed anything. It's not the same old, uh, three, four, four, three. They're really playing a combination of both. It's really weird. What kind of defensive fronts they're playing right now. They're playing four linemen, but they're still using three, four principles, mm-hmm. The back end is also four three principles, and I think that's part of the problem. Pete's trying to change, but he's still trying to hold on to certain principles and philosophies and things he believes that are outdated. And what that does is expose more holes in a defense that's not committed to either scheme. It's not fully three four. It's not fully four three. It's taking concepts from both and mixing them together, but it leaves your weaknesses that much more exposed because you're you're on the fence defensively, personnel-wise, and, well, actually not even personnel-wise. They've got this personnel to say, we're going to play man more. We're going to do three, 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 four principles. And then the personnel, they choose to go back to running more zone when you have man corners and running more four, three principles on the front line when you have three, four guys. It's just, I mean, if there's a if there's a place to identify no continuity, it's right there. And I think it's more scheme than it is anything else. I think they're consistent in not committing 
to either thing. And that's a problem. Um, so I one you, I, so if I can say yeah. um, to piggyback on what you said, the two things came to mind when, when you made your points. I agree with everything you said. I think, unfortunately, the coaches like Sean McVay, the coaches like Kyle Shanahan, right? The ones from that school that Mike McDaniel, they, they can eat up this type of defense. They've learned how as a group, they have learned how to pick apart a predictable defense, right? And so I think part of the shift back and forth and trying to be multiple is to not be predictable, but you're still playing the same soft zone no yep. matter how you line up. And that to me is the problem, right? So you go against McVay and McVay can have 80% of the talent as Pete Carroll, but win because this because his offensive scheme eats up Seattle's defensive scheme, even though the players are inferior. The other thing is the linebacker position. I know that it's not as important as it used to be. I understand that you only play two linebackers these days for the most part and essentially five linemen, right? If you're going three or three, four, it's right. essentially five, two, but what is interesting to me is if you look around at the great linebackers in football now, it's the Fred Warner types, right? It's 6'3", six, 6'4", six, longer, yes. um, leaner, rangy. Tremaine Edmonds is another one, right, who's in Chicago now but was with Buffalo. Mm -hmm. It's the long, long arms, you know, kind of pterodactyl almost. They can, they can move all over the field and they can cover. So Fred Warner, when you're playing zone – can drop and, and almost get back like the old school cover too, all the way back between the safeties yeah. if he has to, mm -hmm. because he's got that kind of range. You put a six foot or six one Bobby Wagner, who's 255, 260 pounds, right? Old school thumper linebacker type. Yep. And Jordan Brooks, who's barely six feet if he is. Yeah. And those kinds of linebackers get eaten up in coverage. And we talked about this before, and I know it's a, for me, it's a dead horse, but that's, that's a big hole in this defense. Philosophically, they need to find bigger linebackers, rangier middle linebackers, because that's where the NFL is now. Otherwise, you get eaten up in the middle all day long. Correct. And it goes back to that personnel that I was talking about. It's that if you are going to run zone, then you need zone, you need linebackers who can cover. You can't. The principle of zone is to have everybody be able to cover a literal zone. And if you got two players on the field at any given time who can't cover two zones properly and effectively, no, I mean, that in and of itself is going to leave a huge gaping hole in your defense, which it oftentimes does. We've seen mm -hmm. that. We've seen teams just be able to drive down the field. So you get these long-winning drives where these teams are, are really death by a thousand cuts on defense. It's really what, it, what it's become. They're allowed to extend plays and take up time of possession, which has been an ongoing problem with Pete Carroll teams is not being able to uh, control time of possession, even in the games they win sometimes. They weren't, they didn't have the time of possession. So I just think that there's a need for change in order to really hit their ceiling. It's not an indictment on Pete as a coach in general. I love a lot of the qualities that he brings. So it's not easy for me to say, you know, that this team should move on from him, but you've changed the personnel four or five times over. You've changed the scheme now over at least the two main options that they are in defense. You've changed that over and you still can't make it work. I just don't see how we continue can continue to justify a defensive minded coach who has not provided an at least average defense in six years. I mean, all the teams are bottom five, bottom 10 every year. 
And I just think that can only be acceptable for so long, no matter your good qualities. You're a defensive guy. You have to own your side of the ball as a head coach. I mean, there really aren't any other examples we can point to in the NFL right now that actively have jobs. I mean, even the Patriots, for as bad as that team is, they have a great defense. There's been some Steelers teams that have looked really bad offensively, but guess what? Their defense is their strong suit. And I know we've used the excuse in, in Seahawks world and nation of, hey, the offense can't get on the field, so the, the, the offense can't stay in drive, so the defense is on the field longer. And I myself have subscribed to that theory as well. But if you look around, the Jets are in the same position, but they still have a top five defense. Right. The Steelers are in the same position, but they still have a top top five, top ten defense. Right. And you, you see these other teams who are able to do it despite, yes, being on the field for extended extended times and extended periods, they're still able to get off the field on third down right. somehow. Because that's really what it comes down to. If you can get off the field on third down, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you can right. still be an elite defense. When, and you, if you look at so I have the depth chart pulled up right now. And if I look at the Seahawks defense, man for man, right. Mm-hmm. I don't see maybe, maybe two like below average to below average players. Right. I see a ton of talent, right. Yeah. Draymond Jones right. in that five technique role is they signed him to a big contract for a reason. Jaron Reed has played like a pro bowler this season. Yeah. Leonard Williams is an above average talent. Boy, yes. Mafe has been a very sturdy, very good edge. Bobby we just Smith. talked about him. Yep. Bobby Wagner, depending on what metrics you look at, he's still a Hall of Famer. He gets the defense in order. I like him being there despite his size. Yes. Now, Jordan Brooks, I think you can ask real questions about his ability to cover. I don't know if he remains a Seahawk uh, for a long period of time because of his inability to cover, but I think that's a question to ask down the road. He's still, you know, a high tackle totals stops stops the run right those sorts of things daryl taylor as much as you hate daryl taylor or don't like him i won't say hate but don't like him uh-huh. he's still putting up sacks right even if he runs into him right. um, not disciplined i would call him one of the two below average players right if he's one of your starters right Witherspoon, we know is a future pro bowler yep julian love i'd say is an average player who's mm-hmm. had some good moments but if if he's my starting safety Okay, right. We're going to be okay there. We're going to save some money. I think Diggs is still above average. And Reek Wollen is, you know, has Pro Bowl talent. He proved that last season. And I think he's starting to play better now. So you look at that defense and you see all that talent. You see all that investment. You see all those second round picks and some first round picks in there. And then the trade for Leonard Williams and the contract to Draymond Jones. It has to be coaching. You have to ask questions about a Clint hurt. I think you have to ask questions. Is he the right coordinator? Right. But I also think to your point, it's completely right. Like you look at a Sean McVay team, they're going to have a good offense and it does not matter who's playing um, quarterback or wide receiver or anything. They don't, they're just like, he's going to put up a great offense. It doesn't matter. Right. Shanahan, very similar, right. You're talking about in division coaches, what they have going on in Arizona eventually is I think is going to look real good, right? Because yeah. Kyler has shown, shown flashes. He's and, they're, and they're really just restarting the rebuild. Like they, they really have to. They don't have. They they rightfully don't have the talent. Understand? No. But the coach, the coach yeah. is good, right? You got a good coach and you got a good quarterback to start. So I guess my point about this defense is, you know, 
if there was no talent, you could say, okay, John Schneider didn't bring in the right guys. Right. And, you know, we don't know that Pete Carroll's lost a step defensively because he doesn't have the talent to do it. We've said that the last couple of years. Yes. That's not the case anymore. That is not the case anymore. With this defense, those names that I just read, there's a ton of talent there. Even behind Daryl Taylor, if you don't like Daryl Taylor, you got one well, Wosu got hurt, but you got Derek Hall, who was a second round pick. Whether And it, the fact that he hasn't developed to the point where they're comfortable with him on the field mm -hmm. is not necessarily an indictment of Derek Hall. It's also an indictment of the coaching. Right. Yeah, it is because great coaches will take that kind of physical talent and make something of them. So I think you're right. And how, OK, let me ask you this. How many years do you think realistically Pete Carroll will stick around? I think he'll stay at least through the contract, unfortunately, as, as much as I as much as I really think that this team needs to make the change unless mm -hmm. they sell the team. Now, if they right. sell the team before the contract is out, then automatically Pete's going to go. But I don't think that the Allen family or Jody Allen is going to be the person to say, Pete, you've got to go because he right. does a good enough job at having the team be mediocre. Right. Honestly, like, he, I mean, he can, he can put together at least a mediocre team. He's never going to put together a bad team, which like I said, he's not a bad coach, but he, I just don't think that in the modern NFL, given all the changes that are being made, mm -hmm. I don't think he can coach a defense anymore. And, there, and, and, and it's not, an indictment on him as much as it is they've changed the rules of the game. Right. There's there, there are so many things that go against you on defense, and there are so many things that just give the offense, offense an advantage. And you have to be able to change with those times. I don't think he's been able to do that. And one of the things that signaled that is the fact that the Seahawks, are they still number one in penalties in the NFL? At one point I they think, were. I think they're close if they're not. They're top three. If they're, if they're not, something has changed. But, they, I mean, they're one of the most penalized teams – in the league, at the time of the Cowboys matchup, it was Seahawks and Cowboys one and two. Mm -hmm. and I don't mm -hmm. imagine that that's changed that much over the past couple of games. So that's an indictment in and of itself of you not being able to coach to the modern rules of the NFL. I think Clint Hurt was asked in an interview about you know how he's dealing with some of the changes, and I think he tells he tells him now he's training them to sack the ball, not the quarterback, which I think is a can lead to some problematic uh, errors that we that we see sometimes on the field, yeah. and I just I just don't think we need someone who can shift with 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 that. And yes, that will come at a price. Pete brought a lot to the table. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that this team won't miss him because there will be times and moments where you miss a Pete Carroll type of coach, but right. they just have no chance. I think of being more than playoff food right. with. Him. Well, and there's, you know, you look at, you look at like the championship team, right? And the, the two Super Bowl, or the, the Super Bowl, um, the Super Bowl team, you had such immense talent that the, people would always say like, was it that you had Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and all these talented players or, and how much of it is Pete Carroll and how much of it was the talent? And I would always say, well, I think it's both, right? Yeah. But I, you have to start to ask yourself, did he require that kind of same thing at USC? How much talent he, he was able to, to acquire and recruit such great talent right. that the scheme might not be the right scheme. The talent just could overcome, you know, some of the, the holes in the scheme. And at this point, you look at Carroll, you look at uh, <clears throat> Bel or Belichick, even even a Mike Tomlin, right, who's young, but is the, you know, is such a tenured coach. And you look at those guys and 
you wonder how much the game has passed them, right? Their offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh gets fired this season because the scheme was wrong. And if your scheme's not wrong and you're not, you know, the other side of that spectrum is Miami where Mike McDonald or Mike McDonald, um, (laughs) that's the D coordinator at, uh, for Baltimore, uh, Mike McDaniel is, is just killing it. Right. And he's got all these fun, you know, fakes. And he started that little motion starting from the slot going outside and he's got Tyreek open and Waddle open and that's Seahawks. Don't the defense, you can do that defensively. You can be innovative. And there just is no innovation at this point. His contract runs through Carol P Carroll's contract runs through 25. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that they give him those two years. My question for you is, if we're in agreement that quarter that we don't have a Super Bowl winning quarterback currently on the roster, I mean, we are. What, what would you do? You know, if you are an owner or if you're John Schneider and you expect to stay with the organization potentially, what do you do at quarterback in these next two years? Do you bring in a veteran and invest in a veteran to try to win the Super Bowl in these next two years with Pete Carroll, or do you try to move up in the draft? and try to take a, you know, a Drake May or a Jaden Daniels or, you know, even a Michael Penix Jr., somebody like that um, to come in and play immediately. Because if you're doing that and you're going young, you're basically telling Pete Carroll, we need these two years from you, but we're not going to give you every last resource to try to win the Super Bowl now. What do you do in that situation? Uh, well, I'm not going to talk about ownership because if I was ownership, Pete wouldn't be there. So it'd be a whole different conversation. So I'll talk as if I'm John Snyder and I don't have control over that. I, I For me, I think the team's best move is, I think you keep Gino. Gino's contract is so team friendly, to be quite frank. I mean, I think he's he's going to be giving money back this year. Because <laughs> they, 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 the way the, the contracts are set up is there are incentives and in, in his, his contract was incentive based. A lot of the incentives that he got, they based on they counted, they measured for it in the cap if he hit it last year, right? So like hitting over 4,000 yards passing, he hit that last year. They kind of automatically assumed and accounted for that money in his cap comp, like in his cap hit. That's money that's going to be going back on the books at this point. He's not going to hit those same metrics that he hit last year uh, for a number of reasons. Some of it's injured and also just general play. So I think that helps you out a lot. So I don't think there's any reason to get rid of Gino because that really is one of the best value type contracts. And even his floor is still better than a lot of the other guys that are playing right now. Right. So, but are you winning a Super Bowl with him? No, you're not winning a Super Bowl with him. But so do keep Gino. But I do think that you draft someone. Do you have to move up in the draft to get a guy? Honestly, I don't. I don't think so. I don't, I'm not sure that I personally would make the do the you know put in. The resources depends on where that pick lands. So it's hard to speak mm-hmm. to exactly, but I'm not sure that I'm willing to move up and give out, you know, give up so many future assets to do that. Right. I think you pick some pick a quarterback first and foremost, whoever you can get at that time to compete with Geno and to develop that quarterback and see who can be almost like they did with the Russell Wilson situation, obviously would not be waiting to the third round to right. do that. But I think you still get a higher quality person to to compete with Gino to push Gino whereas maybe you get the best out of Gino that year or maybe either way you're developing and you have a good backup option a better backup option than Drew Locke who did have a game winning 
drive. <laughs> they haven't talked about he that yet, that. right? He did have that, but I'm not sure that that pushes Gino. It doesn't. It doesn't push Gino because right. Gino was started right back as soon as he got healthy. It right. Doesn't push him in terms of really having to compete for that starting spot. Right. So that's what I would do because I'm not sure. I think you continue to do what they've been doing. You look for opportunities to make your team better without mm-hmm. overextending your future. That's mm-hmm. pretty much the land that they have to live in because if you don't believe, and in my case, you don't believe that the coach can get you to a Super Bowl anyway. Right. You're really just trying to be competitive, give your players. You don't want to decentivize your players, right? You want to, you want the players to feel like we're trying to win. So you have to do something to enhance the the roster. I don't think you can intentionally tank. I don't think that's the right answer anyway right. Uh, to intentionally tank. Sometimes that backfires um, and you build a losing culture. So um, I, just I, kinda, I think, I think you're right. I agree. I agree with, you know, where they're going to pick if they sit tight, likely three of the top four picks are going to be Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels, right? Those are probably three of your top four picks with Marvin Harrison Jr. somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. But where the Seahawks pick, which is probably somewhere between 10 and 20, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're looking at J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. Yeah. You're looking at Michael Penix Jr. from Washington. You're looking at Bo Nix from Oregon. Those are the – and McCarthy and Nix particularly have that type of mobility that I think um, – Pete Carroll likes to a certain extent, right? The the ability to bootleg and some of the other stuff. Penix can do it too, but Penix is really just a rocket arm. And, and but the thing about Penix is he's older, right? I think he's a 60 year senior. He's 24. He's got injury concerns, but an older, more mature player like him might be able to come in right away and play well. But I agree. I think it's, they're stuck in the middle. That's the thing with mediocrity though, right? Is you're stuck in the middle. You're not picking high enough to find a superstar at least easily and you're not competing enough to win a Super Bowl. And at this point in time, I don't think Pete Carroll, I think it should be Super Bowl or bust. If you're going to keep Pete Carroll as your coach, you got to go try to win a Super Bowl. I just don't know that there is to your point, an upgrade at quarterback out there. That's not going to cost you a ton. That's going to be, you know, that much different than what you get from Geno Smith. I think the improvement comes, as we said, you know, earlier on the, on the podcast, the improvement comes from from schematically defining yes. who you are and kind of just getting with the times. Right. It, the game has passed him by to a certain extent defensively. And I think that's that's showing up all the time. Um, you want to talk Steelers a little bit? Talk about the matchup. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. Do, do we know? Do we have an update on Kenny Pickett right now? Is he, is he playing? As far as what I saw, it's no. I think they're going to stick with Rudolph because of how well have the big plays that he helped create um, in the previous game against the Bengals. Yeah, yeah, so what I saw was Rudolph will probably play um, and uh, and Pickett will be, I think, available and present. But I think they're going to give another another uh, start to Mason Rudolph. Cause yeah, kind of like how they did with, with Drew Locke and, and Gino. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you can, if you can get the ball into George Pickens hands, their wide receiver, man, that dude was, he was money yeah, last he was game. And he's, he's over a thousand yards. I looked it up before, before the pod. And I was, I was shocked to see that he's over a thousand yards already. I think yeah. on the that catches. That's um, insane. And I was so, I was personally, devastated by his performance because I 
just timing wise, it was such a busy week. I didn't get to take movement up from the bench. And oh. man, sat there on my bench and lost that fan. Yeah, it was such a such a hard week. Uh, That's rough. It was so it was just a timing thing. I would have moved him, but I think he was sick or something or mm-hmm. it, or out or just something. He wasn't playing the week before. And so I just had him on the bench just because and I would have moved him up because mm-hmm. I didn't have anybody just that much better than him on my league. That's anyway, brutal. That was That's that brutal. was tough. So what do you we haven't talked since then. What do you think about the Jamal Adams stuff and what how does Julian Love starting in this game for you um, change? Does it change anything? Is it is it a positive? What, what's your take on the whole Jamal Jamal Adams situation? Oh, it's, it's interesting for me because I've sort of been a Jamal Adams apologist, if you will, for the most mm-hmm. part. But I do think that the injury had some impact on his game. And, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where maybe with a, another year under him to fully have a real offseason – and not be rehabbing. It was a really tough injury to come back from. I mean, some people literally don't come back at all right. from that injury. So, but the, here's the bottom line, though. He's not worth the cost at this mm-hmm. point. As, as much as I I think that some of his spice and character and energy and all that has some positive, it also has some blowback. Mm-hmm. And I also think that, you know, right now he doesn't do either. He doesn't do anything in the elite level. At this point, I think he can get back there again. But is it worth paying? What is it, eighteen million dollars on a safety who he was giving you maybe a four million dollar play right now? I mean, production that you could just yeah, it's possible that he goes back to being that elite guy who might be worth that money. But it's such a big risk at this point because you can also I mean he can just easily get injured again next season, right. and so. I do think, and it's unfortunate that they restructured his contract because I think it makes that cap hit even bigger, I believe, than what it was before. I'm yeah, it's three. I have Sport Track open here. Um, he's his, uh, so his cap hit this year is eleven five. His cap hit next year, if they keep him, is um, twenty seven, almost twenty seven million, and then it's almost twenty eight as a cap hit in 25. So you're talking about it was 18, but they restructured it. So big numbers. Right. And so it says that there's a potential out in after 23. So in 24, there's a potential out. And I don't know if that's a player uh, option or a, or a team. Let's see. I think it's a guarantee thing. Maybe he doesn't get as much guarantees, but that's still a huge, whatever it is at this point, you kind of got, you got to get out of that. Right. Like yes, it's not, not worth it, and I, I, especially because you're. Not, it's not just him. You're right. paying him, and you're paying Quandre Diggs, and right. it's not like the safeties have, have particularly had a shining year this year. It's not like in the Legion of Boom days. It was the safeties that sort of was a, a big part of sure. Earl, uh, Earl, Earl Thomas was huge. Uh, his role was massive, and he you felt his impact game after game. Mm-hmm. And it's not that way with Quandre Diggs, and it's not that way with Jamal Adams. And mm-hmm. it's not like they're doing a poor job. I don't think that they're doing a poor job, but you're not paying for not poor. Right. You're paying for top of the league, game changing, difference maker money, right. and you're just not getting it. So, as much as I like the guy, I kind of feel bad for him, to be mm-hmm. honest. I know a lot of people hate him. Um, I get it, but I also 
to kind of see the human side of it. Um, I I don't see how you can stick with that. It's too many resources Mm -hmm. in other places. And I'm just not even sure that in this league, safeties matter as much. That's that's what I was going to say. say, You'd love to say they do, but with the coverage rules and the changes, Mm -hmm. do they? You can't. You're almost, and he, and even if safeties do matter, the safeties who are, who mattered in this day and age because of the coverage rules, like you said, are not the big hitters, right? It's the, yeah. it's the cover safeties. It's the Earl Thomas types right. that have that range. It's why I think Diggs is so much more valuable than Adams in yes. general is because he can play center field. You need yeah. safeties that can cover essentially. And that's not who we've taught. We've gone round and round about how that's not Adams, but it's also the great teams don't dedicate resources to positions that matter less, right? Yes. Great teams, it's your tackles, your yes. offensive tackles, it's your skill positions, it's your quarterback, it's your edges, right? It's your uh, your corners. You don't right. see middle linebackers getting paid a ton. You don't see safeties unless it's the Justin Simmons in Denver. But a lot of times with that, it's just the team has to spend the money. So they say we might as well. That wasn't the case with Adams. They, they gave him a bunch of money believing in him Yes. And it just doesn't, it didn't make a lot of sense. I, you know, I wonder if he is, I bet you he's 90% healthy and the C and the Seahawks coaches or front office realize that they're just a better defense without him on the field. I think yes. they've come to that realization publicly. They will continue to stand by, stand by him. But I think they understand that at minimum Julian love is faster and has more range. And that in and of itself is worth more than the one or two splash plays that Jamal Adams might provide per game because he's getting burnt on some of the other plays. And and let me say this, Julian Love had a terrible first half of the season. So I I don't want to underestimate. I don't want to. I think that gets lost because he's done Mm -hmm. well as of late. He can play just as poorly, to be Mm -hmm. honest. I don't think that there's any surefire guarantee that Julian Love will be dramatically better than than Jamal Adams, to be honest with you. I really don't. But the contract difference is so massive that you have to go with Love because he's much more, uh, you know, cost friendly. and You can do many more things to make the defense around Julian Love better with the money that they're paying to Adams. So I think that's really the difference. And you know, I, I didn't I didn't get the chance to to mention this when we were talking about it before with Pete Carroll. I think you brought up the question about the the, the talent that he had with the Legion of Boom and just how you know how much of it was the talent. Mm-hmm. Another thing I bring up is just that to, to your point about the defense passing them by, I'm not sure the Legion of Boom could be the Legion of Boom with today's NFL rules. I just don't think they could be I think they'd be a decent defense, maybe, but mm-hmm. with all the penalties that they would accumulate. And that people would get first downs based on that. It would completely have changed the dynamic. And I think that's what Pete's struggling with. I really think he doesn't know how to coach around these rules. Right. Right. I think you're right. And because the, you know, if you think about Sherman or you think about Reek or some of the other big corners, a lot of the defense is predicated on walking that line of what's a penalty and what's not. It's getting your hands on the other, on the receiver. You know, you see the Seahawks testing early in the games, testing the ref. Let me see what I can get away with. And even Witherspoon, because he's physical, same sort of thing, right? You're not talking about Deion Sanders, who can run with you step for step. 
and shadow you the whole time without touching you and you still can't get open, right? That's not what Pete Carroll coaches and that's not what this team is. And so it, as the rules change, you have to change too. We all, we see that in basketball too, right? You can't defend the way that you used to be able to defend. There is no hand checking in basketball. Same thing in, in, in football. And I think you're spot on with that point that the Legion of Boom may not have been, you know, Cam Chancellor couldn't hit the way that he did. He gets exactly. Even Earl Thomas has some big hits. Him, him too. It'd be the same thing. So it is. I, I think the game has. Here's the thing with Pete, though. I think the game has passed him by, and I think he is stubborn. But I also think he's so just smart. He's such a smart dude in general. He's so intelligent that I I feel I I keep going back to I want to trust that he's intelligent enough to figure out how to change. Right. And, but it, 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 it comes in conflict with that stubbornness. And so, cause I admire the guy, right. I admire yeah. his, the stuff about competition. I admire yeah. how he treats his players. Yeah. You know, I admire the fact that he used to take chances on players that, that, you know, had rough pasts Absolutely. and he believed in them and he believed in his ability to, to take care of them and nurture them. And that's cool stuff to me. Right. I think I love that stuff. And I just, I think he's smart enough to understand that the game's passed him by, but he's not, he's too loyal to bring in voices from the outside who can actually teach and show how to do that, right? A lot like Clint Hurt is is internal. Shane Waldron he brought in, but that's off offense. And so he's like, cool, you take the offense and go. Um, which, is a, which is a change. Yes. Pete. Which is a yes. change to Pete. That I, was I, a I big give step. him credit. That, that, that was, was an issue. Step. That was an issue, him having his hands in the offense too much was a problem. He it's not like Pete Carroll hasn't changed. It's just not enough. Right. He has changed. So, so here's the funny part. If we get back to the game, Seahawks are eight and seven. We know they need to win these last two against Pittsburgh and against uh, Arizona, right? Yes. Pittsburgh's offense can kind of run the ball. Najee Harris is a little plotting at this point. Doesn't he's not a big threat. Jalen Warren is a bigger threat at running back but is not an elite running back. They've got their third string quarterback in there who's played okay. They've got talent on the outside with Deontay Johnson and, and uh, George Pickens. But this team has been basically what the Seahawks have always wanted to be, which is try to run the ball over and over again and then take deep shots. Yeah. Seahawks defense, as we know, plays a ton of zone, tries to keep the ball in front of you, forces you to try to sustain drives, which Pittsburgh can't do right now. Mm -hmm. So what I think is going to happen, I think the Seahawks are going to come out and look great and they're going to fool everybody because they're going to come out and play well. We're going to see the Seahawks really kind of, I think, cruise to a victory tomorrow. I know the, the Steelers are a decent team. I think, you know, you put those teams head to head and they're pretty close. I think the Seahawks win this. I think they destroy Mason Rudolph. I think the Steelers can't run the ball, aren't going to be able to run the ball as well as they want to. And they're not going to get those deep shots because Seahawks are going to play this conservative defense, right? So it, what I'm saying is Steelers offense plays into the hands mm. of what Pete Carroll likes to do. Yes. And so they're going to feel like, okay, this is, we're good, right? Um, but we all know that's not a Super Bowl winning formula, right? That's not a formula to go deep into the playoffs. So it's just interesting that it lines up the way that it does that they get this team that they, that the, where the matchup I think is favorable from a defensive standpoint. Um, what do you think? I, I think it's going to be a weird game. I think I don't, I think they win. Mm -hmm. I agree with you, 
but I think they barely win by the by the skin of their uh, teeth because what Lost you did mention, <laughs> what you did mention is the Steelers defense, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm a little nervous again. The offense has been inconsistent this year, to say the least. Like that's a kind word right. to describe this offense. They're not incapable of explosive plays, but they just come at random, almost without, it almost seems like they come without true intention, uh, like they accidentally <laughs> happen sometimes. It's, it's really strange, and I think it may come down to a field goal, perhaps. Uh, I just think that the pass rush is really what I'm worried about. As much as we talked about the offensive line and the promise that they show, I do still think we're in the promise stage. I think the tackles have some things to prove. Charles Cross in particular, I think, hasn't, he's not been bad. But mm-hmm. he, he's got a lot of room to grow. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Especially mm-hmm. against elite talent uh, like a TJ Watt. So um, they're going to have their hands full in terms of pass pro. And sure. I think they're going to see some three and outs. Whereas I think you're right on the defense. I think that you're right. The defense should be able to do a pretty good job of holding off um, the Steelers. Maybe they get some field goals. Maybe. Right. I don't think they'll get too many touchdowns for sure, if any. Well, but I think the Seahawks will struggle just as much, right. not for lack of weapons, but just for – it just depends on – I think the O-line will will carry the day. Mm-hmm. They have to. Uh, it will be up to the O-line to protect Geno because we if we know Geno goes with the O-line. Right, right. We know he's had another week to heal up. That helps. I still don't really feel like he was himself. Uh, in that Titans game, I think he, you could see some rust and right. you could see some just, you know, is he still right type type of throws? He will look better in that regard, but they've got to keep him clean. If they don't keep him clean, then we get a shaky Geno performance. Right. And you don't really get to take advantage of those weapons that they have. You look at that Steelers defense, though, and you got Cole Holcomb and Quan Alexander, two starting lineback- inside linebackers on the IR. Landon Roberts, who came over, I believe, from New England and was playing middle linebacker, is out for this for the game. Okay. You've got and the but the big one is Minka Fitzpatrick is out. Yeah. So you, your court the quarterback of your defense, the quarterback of your secondary, and probably a top five safety in football is out. So that leaves you on defense for them. They basically it's TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith, their edges. Mm-hmm. Or bust. There's nothing else there. Boy Porter Jr. has played really well on the corner, but he's still a rookie, and he's going to be probably going up against DK. Yeah. And no matter how big and strong Joey Porter Jr. is as a corner, nobody's as big and strong as DK Metcalf is. So when I look at their defense, I'm, they're physical, right? They play a very physical brand of defense. And TJ Watt, you know, Cam Hayward, Alex Highsmith, those are good players. So if the tackles, I think you're right. If the tackles can hold up, mm-hmm. I think the Seahawks can put up some points. Yeah. I also think they're going to be able to run the ball a bit better than they have because the defense is, while they're stout, they're just, they're, they're missing pieces. And Fitzpatrick is their Bobby Wagner in that he's the one who, you know, he's the air traffic controller. He's the one who's calling the shots. He's, he's really smart and he's an all pro player when he's out. You got they moved Patrick Peterson, who was playing corner, to go play free safety now. So you got an old corner who's never played safety before playing free safety. And as and Pat, Patrick Peterson may be a Hall of Famer, but if he goes in the Hall of Fame, it's as a corner, not as a safety, right? So 
I think that it lines up. The Steelers offensive philosophy lines up well against the Seahawks defense. Mm. Right. And I think that the, the Steelers defense, their injuries are putting them in a place where Seattle can take advantage of as long as they can protect on the edges, they will be able to take advantage of the injuries on that defense. So for me, this yeah. lines up to be, I think, an easier game than than maybe you've predicted. But I also acknowledge the fact that no Seahawks game is typically <laughs> easy for the Seahawks. But I don't know. Must win at home. To me, it's, it's always exciting. And I, I'm at that point, too, not to get sentimental, but I'm at that point where you know you've all they've already played 15 of the 17 regular season games. I start to get sad, right? I start to think to yeah. myself, like we only have two regular season games left. Yeah. Right? Our weekends are going to start looking different. We don't have the same things to look forward to. And so for me, the game, even even though I know the game carries importance for uh, you know, the playoffs, but it's also for me personally, just this is second to last regular season game, right? Yeah. I'm excited about it from that standpoint too. Yeah, that's true. That, that is true. And I think it'll still be, I think it'll be very interesting. So, so don't get me wrong. I think sometimes these Steelers games end up just weird. Some of the weirdest games, the Cardinals and the Steelers, which are our last two opponents, right. end up being some of the right. most quirky, weird, I don't know, just games. So we'll mm-hmm. see. Uh, I think that is a good point, though, about uh, was not aware of the injury report in terms of the middle linebacker. So that does allow for some run game if. Shane Waldron will lean into it. He has had the tendency to sometimes go away from the run game right. for inexplicable reasons when it's been <laughs> successful. But if they really do lean into that, I think that's a good strategy to win because it does take some of the pressure off of Geno. Um, and then it does allow for you to do exactly what Pete Carroll wants to do, and that's run the ball, and then it happens both to play since they got Patrick Peterson back there at safety. That's a great point. Right. Um, so I can see it. I still think it'd be weird to you see all prediction. You got score prediction? Um, I'm going to go, uh, well, you go first. I'm going to change my, I'll add a little bit more offense because you, I I wasn't aware of the, some of the injuries that the Steelers Mm -hmm. had. So, uh, I think, I think 31, I'm going 31, 31, man. Yeah. 31, (laughs) 17 Seahawks. (laughs) Has there been a week, a week where you have not predicted 31 points for the Seahawks? Hey, it's. It's the Seahawks offense playing well. You know, they're not putting up 45. They're not the Dolphins. But I, I do think they score four touchdowns. I think you get a couple of touchdowns from Geno. I think you get a couple of touchdowns from the running game. And, you know, you got to throw a little field goal in there. And I do think the Steelers will score. I think they might give up. Seahawks might give up one or two big plays. I just don't think they're going to be able to sustain drives enough to be able to keep up. Sorry. I think – I'm going to go 24-point Seahawks. I, I did think it would come down to a field goal, but the defense, not uh-huh. having the defense be as strong as I thought that they would be. Mm-hmm. I go 24-17. I okay. think um, they'll still get some points just because, if nothing else, penalties will keep drives alive. I've learned right. in terms of uh, right. Seahawks defense that will just get a penalty on some random call and keep a drive that should have been dead going and get points off of that. Right. I can see a world where that happens pretty easily. So maybe it goes a little bit better than I thought doesn't quite end up being a nail biter. But I, for whatever reason, I feel like the offense might just get started slow. Mm-hmm. And, and that may just be a, maybe they feel their way out trying to see what works against the team. Um, maybe that's a Geno thing. Cause it seems like 
you know, has tended to start slow as mm-hmm. a not just re, not just this past game, but just in general, they seem to well, they they'll have a great opening drive and then be super slow. Right. <laughs> After that, there's like these okay. long second quarter, third quarter, no points at all, and then in the fourth quarter, like they blew up. I can I can see it kind of being um one of those types of games for whatever reason. We'll ultimately mm-hmm. see what happens. But you're right, we are winding down. Uh, well, football won't mm-hmm. even be a thing anymore. Um, but despite the fact that I don't think that it's in the best interest long term for the team to mm-hmm. win these games, it's hard for me to root against like, the Seahawks to I can't pick them not winning, especially against these opponents. You know what I mean? Like, of course. You, you got to just kind of go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think they get into the playoffs? Do you think they make it? I do. I think they make the playoffs. I think they probably at most they win one game. Um, but yeah, I think they win this week, obviously. And, and, you know, Arizona is not an easy out ever, but I think especially, you know, they're, they're, they've got nothing to, nothing to lose. They're going to come out and just let it all hang out against the Seahawks. And that's, that's always a dangerous team. Yeah. That's their, that's their motivation. Yeah. It's always, it's always dangerous to play a team that's, that has that mindset. Yeah. Um, but and it's also in Arizona, which is, you know, you, you prefer them to play at home. Yeah. But I think the Seahawks are just a, a superior team and they have something to play for. Um, so, yeah, I think they make the playoffs. I think they probably lose in the wild card round, um, which is almost the worst case scenario, because then your draft pick is lower. You're not going nowhere. You know, that sort of thing. But that's that's what I see happening. I, it would not surprise me either, though. I say that. It would not surprise me if they lost both of these games just because of the the inconsistency of of this team, right? The inconsistency, uh, even even a Charles Cross, who I love and I think has potential All Pro, is a potential All Pro. We've seen him give up some sacks, right? We've seen him not be able to protect at times this year, and so even the players who I felt like coming into the season were we could count on, we haven't been able to count on, right. and so that to me says. While the talent is better these next two games, it's a talent on the Seahawks side. I don't know that I can't guarantee that they'll win both games. Yeah, but I do I do I think, think that's split. I'm rooting for them to win both. And I think mm-hmm. more than likely they win both. But mm-hmm. I agree. I don't see a world where they lose both games. Mm-hmm. I don't see I don't see them going 0-2 to end the year, but I can see them letting one of these Steelers Cardinals games go go right. because they are weird opponents. I mean, they play both of these teams. Yep. <laughs> it's just a matchup thing. Always. And, you know, it's, it's like you said, there's just no surefire scenario. We've just never seen this team be able to put it together for all four quarters. I don't mm-hmm. think, I don't think we've seen any, I don't think we've seen one side of the ball put together a consistent four quarter game before, not, which is part of it. Um, it's just, there's ups and downs even throughout the games. That leave a lot of question marks. And um, ultimately, I agree with you. Like, you'd kind of just rather see them get the slightly higher draft pick. Right. Um, And, you know, just kind of because they're not, they get in, I'm with you. They're not doing anything. Um, I don't don't think they have them to win one game, to be honest. I just don't think, looking at the rest of the NFC opponents, I don't think they have it. I don't think they have it to, unless it's the Lions, because, well, you know, can, can cut up in domes. But since we've talked, by the way, I don't think we've talked about my theory, and that is that Gino plays superior ball in domes. His best games, if you think about it, 
the Lions game, like when he's in, in Detroit, the New Orleans game, when he's mm-hmm. in that dome, like his best games mm-hmm. are dome games, 100%. Mm-hmm. Like even uh, his comeback win against the uh, Cowboys, mm-hmm. wasn't that like indoors or whatever? Like he played, and he huh. played well. He balled out in that Cowboys right. It just was a defensive, defense couldn't get any stops, enough stops to make that work. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think I, Gino's a dome guy. Why would that be? I wonder. So what? Like, what is it about his game or what is it about him that makes him more comfortable in a dome? I wonder. I think it's a weather thing. He tends to yeah. play better in better weather. So the colder it gets, typically, like his play regressed even last season. And mm-hmm. the, the colder seasons came in, I don't think he plays as well. He doesn't play good games in the rain at all. Some of his worst games are rain games. You go back and look. I think he's a weather guy. I really do. I think he can he can cut up uh, earlier when it's warm. I don't know why that's the case, but uh-huh. he seems to struggle when it gets cold a little bit. He's a little bit more inconsistent in general and a little less accurate. Mm-hmm. Not a huge drop off, but it's a it's a noticeable drop off, and I think it's consistent enough across two seasons where you can say it's legitimately a pattern. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's a thing. I really do. So that's, you're, you're right about the to go to Detroit in the playoffs. <laughs> we might, yeah, we might be okay. <laughs> that'd be the one matchup that I think they actually could win. And you're right though. Last year against Detroit, he went for 320 yards and two touchdowns. Last year in New Orleans, he went for two nine two sixty eight and three, mm-hmm. and that was a couple I, of dropped. I think there was at least one DK drop that should have been mm-hmm. a touchdown in that one that everybody kept saying he should have had one more touchdown. Yeah, yeah in LA against the Rams, three sixty seven and three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I'm looking at the cold weather game, were there any cold weather games last year? Um, he, did he play the KC the Kansas City game? Well, that was free. I mean, that was unusual cold, though. That was yeah, like, two fit, two fifteen, a touchdown and the interception. I I don't know. I think there's something to it. There's something to it. I want to dig into these numbers a little more, but there's something to it there. I, I've been paying attention for me. I've had the theory like blossoming for some time. Uh-huh. But two seasons in, I think that's the thing. And so, right. um, well, he didn't play well in Cincinnati this year either, and it was cold that game on the fifteenth of October. He mm-hmm. threw for 326, but with two picks and no touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And then against the, the Giants, he didn't have to play well because they blew him out. But it was still uh, in, in New York Monday night, 110 yards and one touchdown. Okay, I see you. Yep. See you with the with the weather theories. I, th- I, think, I, think, I, I really think it's legit. I've sort of – because I had the theory midway through last season. Mm-hmm. And so I looked up his games that he played in the rain, mm-hmm. and they were bad. Yeah. They were his worst. They were some of his worst games, and then some of the games, the earlier games in the year. You know, he started off as hot as he did. Um, I, I think it, I think he's a weather guy. Mm-hmm. He's a weather guy, <laughs> which gets um, a challenge in Seattle since they're playing so much. But <laughs> for sure, uh, so far he's gotten. You know, they haven't been too many rainy games for whatever reasons on Sundays. So. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's my theory. We'll continue to to monitor that, but. I love if, it. That if there's one playoff matchup I'll bet on mm-hmm. that the Seahawks could win, it would be that one for whatever reason. Well, that, for that reason, actually, specifically. All right. All right. Um, you have anything else you want to add to the show? Not, not particularly. Um, just excited for the game, ready for the game, ready for New Year's, uh, ready to start the new year for sure as well. Yeah, absolutely. Right. 
Can't All wait. right. Well, we will look forward to this one on Sunday. Uh, be sure to follow the show at Ethos Seahawks. Uh, follow myself at Candace H901. Um, we will, I hope, be back with a reaction game. We haven't done a good job of doing reaction episodes this season. But as we get closer and the play, a playoff contention, you know, rises and sort of our playoff lives live and die with these games, I do hope we can get a little bit more reaction in. Uh, Tino, I want you to tell the people where they can find you. So you can find me on Twitter at Tino Junior 20, T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0. Um, I also host the Ethos Mariners uh, podcast. That's E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. We're doing uh, once a week, sometimes twice a week. Uh, just off season is slow right now, but uh, can't wait to get started with that. I'm also getting started with some of the fantasy baseball stuff on my own with some of my buddies. So you can find that on my personal Twitter as well. Um, Never an off season for me. I love it. Baseball's on the way. Uh, still watching that basketball. Life's good. I'm sure life's good for you too with John Morant coming back. Yeah, life is life is very great right now. Different with team. John Morant coming back. It's the only lifeline we have. <laughs> um, anyway, guys, we wish you guys a happy new year. We thank you for sticking with us here at Sports Ethos. And until the next time, go on. Go on.